want to welcome you to Centerpoint Bible Church. Glad you're here with us and looking forward to another morning where we get to, to look into God's Word and allow Him to speak to our hearts. I hope you're ready for that and came wanting that because I came wanting that. I came wanting for the Lord to speak to my heart and um, He always does. When we come ready to hear, He's ready to, to challenge us and to speak to us. A couple of things I want to just share um, before I get into my message this morning. First of all, as Steve already referenced, and there's really not much more I can add to that. Um, so on June 9th, we will be heading over across the way a little bit uh, to Faith Christian Academy and be meeting over there. And um, I appreciate those that are already planning that and working on making all those details come together. Now, one of the things that, that people will say to me is, well, that's a little bit of a haul, and it is. Okay, it is for for some of us, but it's less than what you think. You know, it's amazing how accurate Google Maps is. I mean, they can nail it down to a second. And um, do you do this little game where you figure out how, what time you're supposed to get there, and then you have like this internal race, like you got to beat the time, okay? Like I'm driving to Morgantown yesterday, and they said I'll get there at 149, and I arrived there at 147. Yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, so there's, our, there's our plan for, for right now. Um, I do want to share this. This is very important for next Sunday. Next Sunday during the focus hour, um, we're going to be having a, a, an important congregational meeting that we need you to be at. I know this is, um, is, is, hasn't been talked about. It, we just, just need, knew we needed to have this meeting this week. So it's kind of like a pop meeting, you know. Um, so that'll be next Sunday during the focus hour. And if you are a member or any kind of a regular attender of Centerpoint, you need to be here for that because we're going to be talking about some, um, some property possibilities that have, that have come up of late. And then we'll meet again on April 7th. So I would ask you to mark those, those two dates. And then, as we already referenced, the um, June 9th date. So... One of the things that's been struck, this striking me of late, and I want to talk about this before I get into the message today, is just the brokenness of the world. I tell you, I, you know, you don't have to have television on or your internet on or, or see the, the news apps that are coming across right now. In New Zealand, 49 people went into eternity. I mean, where, you know, they, they did not get up that morning thinking that they were going to meet their maker, but they did. And it's not just there. I just read in Nigeria there were over 100 Christians that were, that were martyred over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago in Pittsburgh, a man walked into a synagogue, shot up a bunch of people. You know, the world is broken. It is broken. And I don't know about you, but I feel like, Lord, you know, what, what can I do about this? Let's go to New Zealand or let's go to Pittsburgh or let's go here and go do something. I understand that. Here's the reality that, that we need to recognize, and that is the only hope this world has is the gospel. That's the only hope there is. Now, the Lord has ordained that there is government. You can read about it in Romans chapter 13. And the point of government is to punish the wrongdoer. But you need to recognize that that is only an effort for, for man to restrain evil. To restrain evil. But apart from the gospel, that's the only hope there is, is for evil to be restrained a little bit. 
The only hope of changing evil men is Jesus Christ. That's it. There, there, is no, there is no law or effort or anything we can do to restrain the evil nature of man. You can't even restrain the evil of your own heart on your own. How are we going to restrain somebody else's evil heart? The only hope is the gospel. The only hope that man has is the gospel. And so when you say, what, can, what should I do about this? Let's all go pack up and go do something about this. Listen, here's what you need to do. Probably there's not going to be a CNN crew behind you videotaping you doing this and, and celebrate you. You need to share the gospel with people. That's the only thing you can do. That's the only thing I can do. Share the gospel with people so that they're changed. You know, it's, it's kind of like that old worn-out cliche about that little boy that's on the beach and he's picking up this, oh, the whole beach is covered with those starfish and this little boy is picking them up and throwing them back in the ocean. And this old, you know, jaded man, must be about my age, you know, he walks up and says, hey, kid, what good is that? The whole beach is covered with starfish. You're not doing any good. You know this story, right? Little boy picks up one. He says, yeah, well, I just helped that one. Threw it out in the water. Listen, you're you're probably not going to land in New Zealand and make a whole lot of difference over there. Now, you can pray for those people. Pray for the believers that are there, the true followers of Jesus Christ, that God would use this to advance the kingdom. You can pray for them. But in reality, the people that you're called to affect are the people in your world, in your sphere of influence, where you live and you are the container of the gospel. You are the, the clay jar that holds Jesus in the world that you're in. Listen, we want to help you with this. There's several things over the next, I, was just, I wrote down some things. I just want to walk through these. In two weeks, it's a fifth Sunday, and we will gather after church, and we will go into the community and point people to Christ. On, on April 14th is a wonderful day. It's a long day from 1 to 6 o'clock. Ryan McFarland will be here again to help us know, and it is, I went to it last week, or last time, last month, and help us know how to direct conversations to the gospel, and then once you get there, how to share the gospel in a way that somebody can understand. We all could brush up on that, April 14th. This week, on Wednesday night, there's a group of men going to the rescue mission. What are they going to do there? They're going to preach the gospel. You're welcome to join them. The Good Samaritan Clinic, on a monthly basis, we have, we have people who sit down and share the gospel with them. They'd love to have your help. Talk to Carla right over here, Carla and Randy Pearl. Talk to Dr. Morris about it. Talk to Dawn. They're out there doing this. It's not enough to wring our hands and watch TV and say this shouldn't happen. We need to present the gospel in a way that people can grasp and can get it. And here's a real practical way for you to do it. This is low-hanging fruit, guys. This is, the bar is really high on this. You can walk under this one. On May 12th, we're going to have a day where we're going to call it Invite Your One. And on that day, you, you bring people who need Jesus. Honestly, it's better for you to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, but you can also bring them here and let somebody else share Christ with them. The point is we've got to be moved in our heart to do something to do something. Well, that's my first sermon, so um, why don't you do me this favor? Let's stand as I read God's Word. I'm going to read to you our passage that we're going to be studying today. It's a short one. You won't be up for long. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Just two verses for us today, but 
I think it will speak to our hearts greatly. This is Jesus speaking in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, while you're standing for just a moment, I understand very well how painful this topic can be for people. I'm not walking into this lightly. In my experience as pastor, this issue of marriage and divorce is potentially some of the most hurtful moments for believers. And before we go into this passage and understand what Jesus is saying, we need to look to Jesus and let him comfort our hearts with truth and let him comfort our hearts with his willingness to forgive and let him comfort our hearts with the truth that his mercies are new every morning. You may be seated. So, before we go into our passage today, let's, let's take a moment and do what God's Word calls us to do. Marriage is to be honored among all. That's our topic for today, marriage. So, just out of curiosity's sake, how many people have been married for longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. 10 years. Wow, a bunch of us. Okay, longer than 20. 30? 40? Oh, we're getting thin now. Okay. I'm going to keep going. 45? Longer than 45? Oh, man, the race is tight back here. Longer than 50? 46? 47? Now, okay, there we go. All right, so which is it? Which is it? 47 or 48? 40? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Roger and Nancy, how long? 49 years. Well done. Well done. Well done. Almost 50. Almost 50. I was listening to the radio just this past week, and there was a man named Joe Beam. You might know that name. He speaks to, uh, a lot of times he speaks to men. Uh, as a matter of fact, a group of us about 10 years ago went to a men's retreat where Joe was the speaker. And um, he told this story about him when he first went into ministry. He was a brand new pastor struggling to make it. Him and his wife, they're really against it financially. And this, they started as the pastor of this church and this, this couple invited them to their house. So they pulled into the driveway. I've heard him tell this story before, but he, he pulled into the driveway and their mouth just drops open. They see this huge mansion. And they ride up the winding driveway and get up to the house and they go in and it's just unbelievable. He said the missus walked them around all through the house and said, you know, this is our living room and our kitchen and our dining room. And he's thinking, we have a one-bedroom apartment. I don't even know how we're going to make it. And they're walking all around. And he talked about the house was decorated beautifully. And it just, I mean, just, it must have just been a, a masterpiece. They sat down in the dining room, finest china. Enjoyed this meal together. He said they were lovely people, but... They started reminiscing about their early years 
And it seemed like the woman did most of the talking. The wife did. She talked about that they had this one little one-bedroom apartment when they first were married, and they didn't have anything. He was a student, and they didn't know how they're going to make their pay their bills at the end of the month. You know, you probably told the same story we all have. But then he said, she stopped, and it got real quiet. And she said with a quivering voice, I'd trade it all. I'd trade all of this if you would just love me again. And she spoke to her husband sitting across the table. And Pastor Beam says, you know, the truth is some of us have a lot of toys that we have that we can play with, right? But the thing that God has made us for, the thing that God is, the things that God has designed us for are not of this world. They're not of this world. And we're going to see one other example, another example of, of this issue. And before I go into it, I've already referenced this, but I, I want you, okay, a few people were on my heart. Um, first of all, I want to talk to the people who have experienced divorce. I need you to listen all the way through. Okay, all the way to a few minutes after noon, all right? You stay with me. Don't, don't throw anything at me and don't leave, all right? Because there's grace. There's grace. For the single people, maybe you're here today and, and you're not married. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you're right now single, not even by your own choice, but, but you're single. Um, I, I want you to see truths today, too, to understand what marriage really is and how you honor it even now. Even now. And those that are married, I want to challenge you in, in your view of, of what this is about. It's not about your happiness. It's not about your companionship. It's not about your sexuality. It's not about those things. It never was. It never was. Those are some side benefits that some receive, not all. Not all. So Jesus' words to us will be relevant no matter where you're at in the marriage department. We need to understand it's very important today. As a matter of fact, it's essential to understanding Matthew 5, 31 to 32. It's essential for understanding this that, that you realize what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So here's what Jesus is doing. He is now filling up the law. Remember, we've talked about that at length. He's filling up the law so that we can understand what, what the law really is about. The law has been covered over with man-made barriers so that, so that it has now been stripped of its meaning. It's been stripped of its meaning. So Jesus now is coming in and filling it back up with meaning. He's filling it back up with meaning. And here's his reason. Here's why he's doing it. Let me tell you, this is Jesus' purpose for the Sermon on the Mount, and quite honestly, much of the New Testament. It's this. He is going to allow the law, he's going to fill the law back up with its meaning, okay? Fill it up with its meaning so that it reflects the holiness of God. You're going to see in the law the holiness of God. We saw it in the area of murder. We saw it in the area of lust, all right? The Pharisees said, well, I've never murdered. And Jesus said, yeah, but have you angered in your heart? And then we saw the Pharisees say, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus said, yeah, well, you've lusted in your heart. 
So we're filling back in the law so we can see the holiness of God. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Once we see the holiness of God, we now see the brokenness of our self. My goal for the next 30 minutes in all love is to break us. It's to break us. It's to, it's to unveil scripture so the holiness of God breaks us. Why? Is this just cruel? Is this just being mean? Some kind of sadomasochism thing? What, why am I trying to hurt us? We see the holiness of God. It reveals our brokenness so that we return. We're on the ground. Remember, this is us, poor in spirit. We're on the, we look up at God and we see his grace and we see his mercy and we move towards him so that he forgives us, so that he loves us. The Pharisees wouldn't go here. They would not go here. They built this shield they could hide behind so they could never be pushed to the floor. And they stood in all their own strength, standing strong. I don't need God. I'm already righteous. Mm. What Jesus is going to do is going to elevate a high, going to bring us to see a higher righteousness. A higher righteousness. One that is more concerned about the internal over the external. One that's concerned with the eternal, not the temporary. Realizing this is not renovation that Jesus is trying to do. He's not trying to get you to renovate your life. With a little bit of moral dusting off and polishing. Now I'm acceptable, renovated. No. I'm so bad, I'm so evil in my own flesh that renovation would never work. God had to tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. Regeneration. This is the higher righteousness that Jesus is pointing to. Not so that we can strive for it and make ourselves better, but so that we depend upon him. You see in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 31, the issue now that Jesus is going to go to is divorce. But really in a broader way, what he's really talking about it's marriage. Marriage. So let's talk about it a little bit. You know, marriage, we're, we're all drawn to it. I don't care who you are. There's part of you that is drawn to it. Little girls dream about their wedding day. And little boys dream about unsheathing that sword and fighting the, girl, fighting the monsters away from that girl, okay? We're all thinking about this day. It, it's just it's part of us, whether you're married or not. And that's the funny thing about marriage, too. Sing, single people long for it, and married people are like, I don't know about all this, right? It, it just consumes much of our life, chasing people around. The truth is we need to recognize that God designed it. God designed it. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I know that you're in Matthew. But we're coming back there, so don't lose your place. But go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's see here what it is that God says about this marriage relationship. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to see something here that's really important for us to understand. It's in verses 31 and 32. That is 32 Verse 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two 
shall become one flesh. Now that's a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24. The first marriage ceremony. The officiant was God. Adam and Eve are brought together, and God does this miraculous thing. He takes two people, and he makes them one. Two people made one. That's his plan. And that's the wonder of this marriage relationship. But Paul goes on and says something that we got to get in verse number 32. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now let's talk about this word mystery. I've shared with you before about this word. It's a common word. It's actually, it's not that common in the New Testament, but it commonly has significant meaning. And here's what it refers to. A mystery in the New Testament is, is not some like crime that you've got to solve, okay, and put together the clues and come up like a detective and figure out the answers of the mystery. That's not what this is. No, no, no. A mystery in the New Testament, in the Greek language, it is the word mysterion. It's the word mystery. It's where we get it. And what it means is this. It means a secret that's now been revealed and is sacred. That's what it means. The church is called a mystery, because it's a sacred secret now revealed. It's a picture with great meaning. The word mystery means we have a picture. God has a picture, and it has great, great meaning. It means more than what you thought. There's more there than what you expected. There's, there's much behind the scenes of what this means. So your marriage is not about you being happy. It's not about you being content. It's not about you marrying your best friend. It's not about you being happy together and all that kind of stuff. If it is that, that's great. But you know what? Some of that wanes. She might get really, really old. He might get really, really sick. What about that? See, marriage is a picture. We said this last week. We're going to say it again. Marriage is a picture of God's monogamous relationship with his bride. See, the passage here is telling us that your marriage is a picture with great meaning. And what it means, what it's meant to portray, is the monogamous relationship that God has with us, his bride. There's only one God, and he has a relationship with us, so it's monogamous, that's why in the Old Testament, often when Israel would run after other gods, it was called adultery, okay? Because they were choosing to run after other gods. So our marriage, there's more there than meets the eye. Much more than what meets the eye. This marriage is meant to show a deeper truth. It's a mystery. Go back to Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Matthew 5, as Jesus is going to unveil some things about this mystery that we have got to get. He says in verse 31, and this is man's view of marriage, basically. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now we're going to look at man's view of marriage and man's view of of divorce. You know, time, time doesn't change a whole lot. In Jesus' day, within the, the, the group of people who were supposed to be following God, there was a, a great debate raging. It's not unlike the debate that rages often within Christendom now. 
And that is the issue of marriage and divorce. Now, the certificate of divorce, this is part of what the Pharisees, the religious leaders, used to support their view. Let's at least see what they're talking about. So keep your finger here. Go back into the Old Testament, into Deuteronomy chapter 24. Go ahead and take this journey with me. Deuteronomy, second law. Moses shares this series of a few sermons right before the Israelites go into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is the second time that the law is going to be shared with the children of Israel. The original people who left from Egypt, they're all dead. It's 40 years later. They're all dead. So now Moses is sharing the law with the children of those people who were slaves in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, he says some things here that the Jews of Jesus' day, the religious leaders, are now alluding to. So let's read it in Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1. Here's what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of the house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then. Now, here's what this is. The children of Israel, the people of Israel, had violated God's command. They had drifted from God's command. God did not intend for them to be divorcing one another, but they were. But they were. So what the Lord did is he now, in Deuteronomy, the second law, 40 years after the first law has been communicated, he now brings regulation, much like government powers are trying to do now, to restrain evil. The Lord is trying to restrain evil. Isn't God's plan if we would give a certificate of divorce? They're just doing it. They're doing it. So now God's saying, all right, you're going to do that? At least put these restraints on it. So don't be divorcing and marrying her and then running back and marrying him and then divorcing them and marrying them. And there's got this tangled web. It's what they were doing. It's what they were doing. Commentators talk about in the day, as we, as we read historical documents, a man could be upset with his wife over something as simple as, and I'm not making these up, it truly is in the writings, that she burned a meal So he could say in front of a witness, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Three times, walk out the door, find some attractive woman down the street and say, hey, I marry you, I marry you, I marry you. Take her in the back room. And in his mind, he's completely righteous. This is what they're doing. And then he walks out and says, hey, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. I'm going to walk over here, go back to my first wife and say, hey, by the way, I marry you, I marry you, I marry you. So uh, can you make me some iced tea? This is what's going on. And again, as often is the case, the women are the one, the recipients of this damage, as often is the case. And God says, no, this is not the way this is supposed to be. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. So because of that passage, a debate is raging. There's, main, there's really two main views on this question, Okay. 
One view is that divorce and remarriage is only acceptable in the case of fornication, unchastity, sexual sin. That's a, that's a very popular view of the day. This is in Jesus' day. A second view on this is that a man can divorce his wife for any trivial reason. All he's got to do is find her in disfavor. and He's out the door. So this debate is going on. And now Jesus steps up and says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And now all the religious leaders and all their followers are leaning forward. He's going to tell us. The teacher is going to tell us the answer. Now let's remember. Let's remember what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's showing them their heart is wrong. He's showing them their heart needs changed. He did that with anger and murder. He did that with lust and sexual activity. So what is it here? What what is the problem with their heart? Look what he says. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Here's here's, Here's the heart problem. Listen. This is, this is very important. Here's the heart problem that Jesus is addressing. The real problem is not the divorce and is it right, is it wrong, is it righteous, is it not? Am I okay to get divorced? Am I not okay to divorce? That's the wrong, that's the wrong issue. The problem is the heart that seeks the loophole. It's the heart that seeks the loophole. That's the problem. The simple fact, the wrestling over the issue is the problem. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. It's not, are you okay to divorce in this case? Are you okay? No. Divorce never was God's plan. It never was God's plan. He never wanted it. He never desired it. It never was his intent. From the beginning, it was supposed to be till death do us part. And so the simple fact that we're in the middle of this thing saying, okay, is there a loophole? Did he commit adultery? Did he look at a woman to lust for her? Did she burn my meal? Oh, maybe I can divorce. Maybe I can divorce. That's a heart problem. Now listen, listen, listen. If you're divorced today, I know that there are people in this room that are divorced, and some of you are divorced. I don't even know it. Listen, if you're divorced today, you stay with me. You you can't leave, all right? There's grace. There's grace, but we've got to see this part first. We've got to be on the ground first, okay? So come with me. Come with me onto the ground, all right? I want to show you through scripture, what God's intention is for marriage. Okay, let's walk through this. And I've got several passages I want to throw up on the screen for you. We already saw Genesis 2. We already saw Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's just walk through the Bible and feel this. Malachi 2, God says, I hate divorce. This is God's view of divorce. In Mark chapter 10, we have this a parallel passage to this. And, and Jesus here says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. In Luke chapter 16, 
Here we have Jesus making a very strong, a very concise, a very clear statement. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Stay with me. In Romans 7, as Paul tries to explain that the law is dead, he says, for a married woman is bound to, to, bound by law, that is, to her husband while he lives. But if her husband is die, if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes, if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. In Hebrews chapter 13, which is where we started, let marriage be held in honor among who? All. We have to understand something. Marriage is a picture. It's a picture of a monogamous relationship that God offers mankind. It's an unbreakable covenant. No believer should break this covenant. I've been doing this for a long time. For for 20 some years, I've heard virtually any story you can come up with. I'm telling you, I've sat there and heard women tell me things that I've been trained never show shock. But sometimes it's hard. It's hard. I've heard things and and I'm telling you, in 22 years of ministry, and not just me, you can find, find more mature, more seasoned pastors and they would say the same thing. I've never said you should divorce him. I've never said divorce him. Divorce her. Listen. Whoever you're married to right now, they are the one. God's will is for you to be married to them until you die. Do not entertain, do not think, do not consider, am I supposed to divorce this person? I'll tell you right now from God's word, God hates divorce. You are to remain with them until you die. That is God's plan. Why? Why? Because it's a picture. Remember? It's a picture. It's a picture of God's monogamous relationship with his bride. It's an unbreakable covenant. Who are we to barge in and take that picture off the wall and slam it onto the ground? You say, I don't like her anymore. You remember what she's like, Lowell. You should see her the way she talks to me. You should hear. Oh, does God treat us that way? No. No. It's an unbreakable covenant. Now, what about sexual morality? But I say it to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual morality. Is that a time when I'm okay? Am I okay now? Is that a loophole? Did I get him? Did I set the trap and I got him? Now I can divorce. Yay! Oh, that's what Jesus is dealing with. That's what he's dealing with. In Jeremiah chapter 3, if you have time and if you're quick with your fingers, you can turn there. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 8. God explains that he gave a certificate of divorce to the nation of Israel. Why? As you read it in context, what had happened is the nation of Israel had repeatedly, over and over and over, literally for centuries, had run to other gods and committed spiritual adultery with other gods. The language of Jeremiah 3, I wouldn't even be quite comfortable reading it 
in mixed company. Now you're all going to turn there, right? I mean, it is, it is, it is it's shocking how God describes what happened. And God said, fine, I'll write you a certificate of divorce. There you go. So what do we learn from that? You as a believer, you don't pursue divorce. But some of you, hear my heart, hear God's heart. Some of you, your partner, your spouse, you're the one that you committed your life to. They walked up to the wall and they took that picture and they slammed it to the ground and stomped on it. And they broke it in front of your face and shattered it. You went that day to the church or to the field or wherever it was. You had every intention to be married to them for the rest of your life. You thought they were the one. And he or she, in an act of cruelty, in an act of just devastation, destroyed you and bruised you and hurt you. Through sexual morality, many of you. And said, I don't want anything to do with you. And left you in the dust. You didn't break that covenant. They did. They did. As believers, we never break this covenant. It's a sacred secret. It's a great mystery. It's a picture. A picture of a monogamous relationship between us and Christ. But if somebody else, what Jesus is saying is that this person, now they come into your life and you're married to them and they through pornea, that's the word, this is any sexual activity with anyone other than your spouse, your married spouse, it's called pornea in the, in the Bible. They destroyed this picture. What are you to do? What are you to do? Now this teaching was so shocking. I want you to see you know, what, how would you respond if you were there, okay? What if you'd have been in the crowd? What would you have said? Go over to Matthew chapter 19. Go to Matthew 19 with me. Because there were people that heard Jesus teach this. And look what the average response was when you heard Jesus say what he said. First of all, Matthew 19, look what verse number 4 says. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. That where, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He then goes on to explain about this divorce and certificate of divorce for sake of time. You can just run your eyes over it down to verse number 10. So the people that are there, the disciples... After this teaching, it's like they pull Jesus aside. And they're like, Jesus, dude, come here. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. You get what he's saying? You get what they're saying? That's right. Marriage is a big deal, folks. It's a big deal. Disciples are saying, if this is the case, if what you're saying, that's shocking. It's shocking. If that's the case, we're better off not to marry. And Jesus said, yep, you're right. What do we learn from this? The same thing we learned last week. The same thing we learned the week before. The only hope we have is not renovation. 
It's not, Lord, give me five principles to make my marriage better. I'll try to do that from the Bible. But it's a change of heart. It's a new man. It's a new understanding. It's a new view of what this marriage is. It's a new understanding of what it is. The world is saying the opposite. It's saying, you be fulfilled, you be satisfied, you find someone who completes you, all that kind of garbage. God says, no. This is a picture, a beautiful picture with a sacred meaning of God's monogamous relationship with his bride. In that same passage in Jeremiah, after the Lord says what he says to his people, who through their decision, through their rebellion, they violated and broke the covenant. But then God said to them, in verses number 14 and 15, return. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord. For I am your husband, NIV says. New American Standard, maybe you feel comfortable with this. Guys, it says, for we are married. Some of you aren't comfortable with that. You can read ESV, it says, for I am your master. Because that word can be translated any of those ways. God says, I chose you, I will choose you, and bring you to Zion. And there I will give you shepherds after my own heart. So where do we go? Okay, let's deal with those that right now you are convicted in your heart over the past. Some of you, where you were at when you, when you experienced divorce, you didn't have this concept in your mind and you just did what you did. What are you supposed to do? First of all, if you're married, the marriage you're in is God's will. Deuteronomy 24 is very clear. You can read it. You're not supposed to go back to her. Nope. The one you're in is God's will. You don't have to question. I'm telling you right now, the marriage you're in is God's will until death. So you stay there. Some of us, though, quite honestly, you do. Maybe you and your spouse. You may need to go back to the Lord together and repent. Somebody would ask a question. So... Every time we come together, is this adultery? No. No, it's not. The decision that you made was adulterous, but it's not a perpetual state of adultery. You confess this as sin, and guess what? Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Brand new, righteous. Make your marriage a testimony of God's grace. Show the world. Let them see your marriage and let them wonder how is this possible? How is this possible? Some of you, you, you were the person that someone tore your picture off the wall and broke it in front of your eyes. Honestly, I really hurt for you today. You got a lot of pain. You got to go. You got to let the Lord deal. You got to come to the Lord with that. Let Him heal you. Let Him heal you. Share that with your spouse. They can handle it. If they're a follower of Christ, if they're here today, they can handle that. Share that. To the married, you make this one the one. Divorce is a never-never. You never say it. You don't bring it up. 
You don't say, I'm going to divorce you. Maybe I should divorce her. Maybe I should divorce her. No. It's never, never. You don't joke about it. You don't say it. You don't say it to yourself. You don't say it to your spouse. You don't dream about it in your head. It's a never, never. If you never say it, you're never going to do it, right? You never say it. The one you're in is the one God has for you. Till death do you part. Now, for the unmarried in the room, either never married or now you find yourself in an unmarried state, listen, first of all, you don't need a spouse. Oh, you want one, maybe, but you don't need one, okay? My wife has a spouse, trust me. She don't need a spouse. She'd be fine without me, all right? Now, I want her, don't get me wrong, but God is enough. He's enough. I'm not, belitt- I'm not making your pain or your loneliness small, but I know he's enough. You may want the spouse, but you don't need one. So you live in the comfort of that truth from God. But let us be careful. Let us be careful with this picture that God has given us. He's given to us this beautiful painting, if you will, his workmanship. And he says, now guard it. Now cherish it. Treasure it. Because it is a mystery of Christ and the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, each of us over the last three weeks have had times we've been very convicted And God, I thank you for your grace, that new grace every morning. Lord, it is new. It is available. Father, you are there ready to love, ready to take to your side. Lord, help us to find our contentment in you, in reflecting you. Married, single, divorced, no matter what our status may be, we can find our contentment in you today. Because you are always enough. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that took this sin like others and placed it upon your back when you died for sinners. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.